Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Um, we had a Leaders' Day here a few weeks ago, uh, a, couple, hmm, a couple of weekends ago actually now, and, and we talked about how God wants us to be equipped. It's our year of equipping here at Ivy. That's why I've put my title, uh, uh, is that I want to be an equipper. It's not all about being the pastor or being the whatever. What I want to do, and what the Bible says my job is to do, and anybody's job really to do, is to, be, is to equip the saints, God's people, for their work of ministry. So... That's what I want to do. I want you to find your work of ministry, your place of service for God. And um, to the extent that I'm doing that, then that's really what I'm all about. And that's what we want want to do here at Ivy. Because we want to equip you because we believe that everybody deserves a chance to get to hear about Jesus. And the way that that happens is when God's people find their place and fulfill their purpose by following him. And the way that you do it is you, you don't just stay in going to church, that's great, but it's not just you come to church, it's that you are the church and you go and you reach people and you serve people and you help people and you minister to their emotional needs and their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And we understand the importance here of embracing the truth that every person who would say that they are a Christian has actually also been called to be a minister. That there isn't just some people who get to put on a collar around back to front and they become the ministers. But the idea is everybody has got an act of service or places of service for Jesus to make a difference in the world. And so if you do come to Ivy, if you hang around here, you're going to find yourself being challenged to do that, to find your place so that you'll fulfil your purpose. Like I said before, rather than just wasting your life by making it all about you, to make it about Jesus, to make it about serving other people. So um, you're not just going to be challenged to come to church, but to be church. And to do that, to start serving in some way. And so some people, early on, I want to say this, you could, if you've started to come regularly here to the evening meeting, um, we need people to help with hospitality and welcome. We need some people to help with, to be able to do the visuals, just to do what Ranjit's doing. Is it difficult, Ranjit? No, see? Ranjit will tell you, it's a mouse and doing that yeah I bet you can do it we need some people though who will do it because you can do it the question is do we need some people who will do it we need some people who help and do the the coffees and make the food and be on the door and welcome people and all of that is helping people find their way back to God when they come here so if you regularly are coming here we'd love it if you found a place of service by, um, by coming and serving here and being somebody who's who's reliable That means we can rely on you. That means when you say you'll be there, you'll be there. When you say you'll do it, you'll do it. Not just that you'll say you'll do it. So um, this is all about being the church. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. Welcome to follow along in your Bible, although helpfully I've put it onto the screen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Basically, that phrase, son of man, was what they call an idiom, a way of saying me. That's really when he says the son of man. He's basically saying, who do people say I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, 
But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice again, and I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church. The church is, is God's plan. It's Jesus' plan to smash down the gates of hell. That's the purpose of the church. You know, what's the purpose of a church? Sometimes you could look at it and you think, oh, it's to be a presence in the community. It's to have a nice bell ringing competition. Oh, oh, you know, be good at making buns. <laughs> All kinds of reasons that people have for doing church. But this is what Jesus says the church is for. It's a battering ram. That's what it's meant to be. Smashing down the gates of hell. I said the other week at the leadership day that um, there's a, a, a guy called Jim Collins who's a great leadership expert. He came to a... a um, a leadership summit thing that was put on and said uh, the church needs to remember that your competition is never other churches it's not like oh, we're a better church than that church or whatever our competition is never other churches he said in fact your competition he said is everything else people could be doing during that kind of hour or whenever when you meet on a Sunday and I like that for a bit but then as I thought about it I thought no it's not that it's actually I said on the leaders day it's our competition is everything anybody else could be giving their life to other than giving it to Jesus. And there's all kinds of competition for that. And then last Sunday evening, if you were at the Fuse and you found out that you found us there, you heard me say, actually, I thought about it even more. And I thought, I realise, even from this passage, it's reminded me again, our competition is hell. Our competition is everything that hell wants for people rather than what heaven wants for people. And hell wants to keep people trapped. Hell wants to keep people addicted. Hell wants to keep people hopeless and lonely, messed up, Abandoned, feeling dirty and guilty and shameful and, and just alone in the world. And Jesus doesn't want that, so he's made a church. This is the, de the declaration, the definitive statement of the sovereign will of the master of heaven, the creator of earth and the sea. He has declared the powers of hell will not will not, will not prevail. What does prevail mean? Prevail means be able to stand against. That's what it means. Prevail basically means be able to, to, to last. He says, what hell wants to do, it might feel like, in the minute, at the moment, you might feel like you're going through some kind of hell. Jesus says he won't last. It's not going to last. Against What? The church. That should give you some hope tonight. Whatever you came in with, whatever maybe you're battling or worrying about. Let's take a, couple of, a look at a couple of the words in there. Gates. What do gates do? They defend. They're a defensive thing. Are gates offensive weapons? No. So there's something about hell that the devil wants to protect and hold people in. Gates are not a weapon against us. They are what we are a weapon against. They are what we are to come against. There's no need to be scared of gates. I've never been scared of gates in my life. 
Gates don't harm you, but we can harm gates. We can charge the gates. We can, we can come smashing against the things that keep people trapped in fear and guilt and shame and pain. And we can charge down the gates of injustice and hopelessness and brokenness and where people need healing. And we can see people set free. Um, when I was a, a police officer, for a couple of years I was on plain clothes and, we'd, and we would do drugs raids and you would go and you would... You, didn't just, you couldn't just do them. You'd have to go to a magistrate or you'd have to go to a judge and you'd get a warrant. You would then get authority. And then it didn't matter if that drug dealer had got big gates. Because we would work out the way to get through those gates. And we always got through those gates. We would come and if it took a battering ram, we'd take a battering ram. If it took an angle grinder, we'd take an angle grinder. But we would do whatever it took to be able to get in because that's what you do, so that those gates would not prevail. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus stood up one day in the synagogue to preach. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? Well, to sing songs, to have wibbly-wobbly feelings. I like wibbly-wobbly feelings and singing songs. I'm not against that, but... That isn't what he said. Jesus said the Spirit came upon him to proclaim good news to the poor. There's poor people who need good news. You know, Daniel is sitting over there, just been to India, back to his home nation, and he's been going around all kinds of orphanages in various places, and he's been bringing, and he has been being good news to the poor. So thank you for doing that, Daniel. Good news for the poor. Jesus said he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, when Jesus spoke those words, one thing that all those different groups had in common, one thing they all had in common was this, hopelessness. Helplessness. In those days, if you were blind, there was no operation. There was no NHS. If you were blind, you stayed blind. If you had cataracts or whatever, just get used to a dark world. If you were poor in that day, no welfare system, nobody was coming to help. You stayed poor. That was your lot in life. If you were oppressed, no justice. Nobody's listening. No chance. That's just life. In those days, if you were any kind of prisoner, any kind of slave, if you were in prison, if you were in debt, you just stayed there. That was what happened to you. But then Jesus steps in and actually Jesus stands up and he says, but I have come. Now I've come. It's like, that's how it used to be. But guess what? I've come now. Now I've come and the spirit of the Lord is upon me so everything can change. He's like, actually what he's saying when he says this, when he says about fulfilling these words, basically what he's saying is, as these words are said, as I'm saying these words, I'm making them start to happen. How is it going to happen? How is it the gates of hell will not prevail? The word prevail, again, it literally means um, prove stronger than. Jesus says, the gates of hell, they may look strong, they might have big locks on, they might be scary, horrible, dark-looking gates. They won't last. Something stronger is coming against them. And what is it? The church. 
Isn't that unbelievable? Because when you read about the church, when you think about the church, we have this such a weak picture of what the church is compared with what Jesus says when he sees the church. Don't we? And, and you know, you read the papers and what they say about the church, it's just laughed at, it's mocked, it's derided, it's, it's useless, it's poor, it's powerless, it's all these people fighting amongst themselves about stuff that nobody else really fights about. Focusing on things that nobody else is really worrying about while we're all getting on with what we're doing. And, and it's just this, it's just seen as this fractured group of funny people dressing up in funny things and all of that. It's like, why would that be scary to anybody? How can that be this Jesus plan? But he's not talking about, he's not talking about that. He's not, talking about, he's not even talking about some building. He's talking about what God is building. He's talking about the people that God is building who, who when they get to know the love of the living God inside of them, when that starts to change them, it starts to change everything and then they become those change agents and they come up and they become, they lock together and they become together this battering ram that goes and smashes down the gates so that people can be free from the inside. Now, have you ever, have you ever watched a film and, it's, and you know, even though it's supposed you know, there might be a scary bit, but it's all right because you've seen it and you know how it ends. Yeah, so, I mean, I remember years ago when I was a little kid, we went to um, watch Jaws. That's how old I am. Went with my dad, and my dad had read the book, so he knew how it ended, and he knew everything was fine. And there was that bit, if you've seen it, when the, this little head, this head pops out of the boat. But dad had just said to us, it's all right, nothing happens. And then this bit came, and, the, and my dad went, Aah! in the middle of the, the <laughs> middle of the cinema. And so he didn't know how it ends. But, see, when you know how it ends... Even if they're scary bits, they're not that scary. Because you know how, it, how it's going to end. You, you can, you know, it's all, it's all going to be okay in the end. It's like, um, it's like if you know that your team, if you know the result, 4-1, for instance, <laughs> then even when they get one, and they're the, you know, the champions or whatever, then it's all right, because you know, you know the result. You know the score. Do you know the score? I'll tell you what the score is. Jesus wins. That's the score. Jesus wins. We win. We win because he wins. We win because he won. When you know the conclusion of the situation, you're better equipped to be able to face what you're going through right now because you know that in the end it's going to be okay because he wins and we win. He's the winner. I loved going to Africa. First time I went to Africa, I went to, uh, to Kenya. And there were these young people who would just pray all morning before we went out and did our bit just standing on these little wooden stages that they made to be able to preach to people. And they used to sing these songs. These young people would just sing this song. Just, you know, he's a winner, he's a winner. Jesus is the winner. He's a winner, he's a winner. Jesus is the winner. He's a winner, he's a winner. Jesus is the winner. That was it. You know, it's great. And you know what they do then? They'd get these palm fronds and they'd pull them off and they'd go off into the marketplace and there'd be people there going buying shoes and various things like that. But the joy of these young people just going and they'd dance into the marketplace and they'd grab people by the hand and they'd bring them to where we were because people were like, who are you guys who were shouting and singing about Jesus is the winner? I've got to find out. And every time we got a crowd, it was because these young people were so full of joy. And how did they get so full of joy? Because they knew Jesus is the winner. Don't forget Jesus is the winner. Knowing the outcome helps you overcome. When you know the outcome, you'll be able to overcome. The Bible says we are more than overcomers through him who, who loves us. So whatever you're going through right now, I declare the victory 
of heaven over your life. I declare Jesus is the winner over you. And when you know that, it starts to make a difference inside of you. It helps you to be able to walk through the, the battlefields and the things that you're going through because you know the Lord is my shepherd and I might be walking through the middle of a dark valley right now. But he's my peace. See, the events leading up to Jesus' statement are interesting. These who do I, you say that I am conversation in Matthew 16, we heard about. It happened when Jesus deliberately went to a region of a city, a place called Caesarea Philippi. We've got a map for that. It seems he really went there deliberately to have a talk just with his closest disciples. This wasn't a big preach. This was like just the 12 that he got together to talk to them. And it started out, first of all, in some kind of pretty general discussion about what people thought about him. Caesarea Philippi actually lay at the foot of Mount Lebanon at the northeast extremity of Palestine. Today, that will be the southwest corner of what we know as Syria. But at this point in history, with Rome in charge, it was under the control of Israel. It was previously called Panius because this was where the Greek god Pan had been worshipped for many centuries because they said that Pan was born in a cave or a grotto there. Here's a picture of Pan. Uh, it's a pretty tame one because, to be honest with you, if you go on Google Images and put in Pan image, you're going to end up with all kinds of sexual images and all kinds of stuff because Pan was basically a sex god. And the way that you worship Pan was orgies and drinking and that was it. Very hedonistic, cult. And that was where Jesus took the boys. Right into the middle of that place. It was predominantly going to be Gentiles who lived there rather than Jews. This was the town right on the very edge of Israel, right on the frontier. It was the Wild West, basically, of, of, of the place. The last outpost of Judaism. Very dominated by all these other Greek influences that were in the area. But this province actually was not controlled by King Herod. It was ruled by Philip the Tetrarch. We have a picture of him from Facebook. He made it a base for himself and dedicated it to Caesar, but he also put his own name on it. That's why it's Caesarea Philippi, for his own glory and for his own accomplishments. But as a political move, he named it after Caesar too. So Jesus takes the boys right to this place, which is like this crossroads for where sex, drink, food, more sex is being worshipped and also politics is being worshipped and people and rulers are being, being worshipped and, and people are worshipping themselves because there's all kinds of things that people worship. Everybody's a worshipper. So Jesus decides to stand right there at the meeting place of Israel and all these other nations where all these other people are worshipping all, all kinds of gods of pleasure or politics or themselves because you know everybody's worshipping, aren't they? Some people, are, atheists are worshipping, agnostics are worshipping, Always, the only question is, who are you worshipping? Who are you giving your time and energy and your money and your devotion to right now? And you can worship sex and pleasure and food and politics and power just the same as people in Caesarea, Caesarea that town did <laughs> 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus asks, who do people say I am? He's not like I'm being a self-esteem crisis and trying to get people to big him up in some way he wants to know off his disciples all right all these other people 
out of being worshipped. And all these people are worshipping. So what about you? And what, about, what, do people, what do people say about me? And what he's actually doing, he's carefully posing these questions to kind of draw out their answers. Jesus was great at asking questions. You look through the Gospels, you're going to see him asking questions all the time. And Jesus knew that his mission on this earth was about to come to a climax. You saw the arrow was going up to Caesarea Philippi, and after that it was going back down to Jerusalem, because this was the last place he was going to go before he went back to eventually go to a cross. And so he asked the question, it's the big question. It didn't start out too well. The disciples' answers didn't show much understanding in terms of who Jesus actually was. They just went through, run through some things that people were saying about him. Some people say, you're a prophet. Some people say, you know, you're a, you're a good person. It's the kind of things people say these days, don't they? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was a very good man. Oh, I believe Jesus was a good teacher and we should all try and live by the Sermon on the Mount and the world would be a much better place if we did that. He's a, he's a good moral example, Jesus. He's a peacemaker. He's the kind of people, we should all aspire to be more like Jesus. Uh, no. In fact, a big fat no. You see, actually, there are no human categories to fit Jesus into. There's, he focuses it all down to them. He actually asks a, single, a second question, verse 15, look at it. Never mind what they say, he says, how about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus got very personal rather than just letting them keep it hypothetically. Who do you say I am? Jesus tends to do that. He did it to me. Some people in the room know what it's like. He did it to you. He, he got personal with you. Never mind what everybody else thinks about me. What about you? What do you think, Jesus says. Never mind about that person or this. What about you? It's the most important question you could ever get an answer to. That's why we had a slide up before about Alpha. We've got an Alpha um, supper that's happening this week on Tuesday. Tuesday. There it is. At the Didsbury pub just down the road. If you've never done Alpha, go along to the Didsbury pub, hear about it this Sunday evening. We'll give you a lovely free meal. You get to hear about the course, meet the leaders and be able to find out the answers to the biggest questions, the most important question that you're ever going to look at in the whole of your life. Who is Jesus? It's actually the title of one of the talks. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Jesus is like, I want to hear what you think. Don't answer too quick. What do you believe? And what are you basing your assessment on? Who told you about me? What opinion have you formed about me? Who do you say? And just because you're in church, I don't want to assume that people here have got an answer that says what we're going to find out Simon Peter said. Because so often I'll be in church and I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I've been in this church for a while and coming along, but I don't really know who Jesus is. I'm still working that out. I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. Well, tonight maybe I'll help you. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the final exam, actually. This is like, Jesus has been with them two and a half years. Now he's going to give them the question. This is the final examination. Who do you say I am? It's the ultimate question. It's the question every human being on the face of the earth must one day face. Who is Jesus Christ? It's the question of all questions. You'll answer that question. You're answering this question right now at this very moment. You came in with an answer. Maybe you'll go out with a different answer. Your eternal destiny depends, I believe, on your answer to this question. Who do you say Jesus is? You can't avoid the question. It's good you've got a chance to answer the question right now. One day, you'll be asked it again. Answer it now before it's too late. 
What's your answer going to be? What was their answer going to be? One question. No phone a friend, no lifeline. Who do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? I bet you could hear a pin drop. And then Peter spoke. And I think he had one of those, what I call an aha moment. It's like you've had that thing, you kind of go, aha. You know, it's like, ah, now I see. I couldn't see before. Ah, now I see. I think he actually did literally. Maybe he'd seen Jesus healing people, walking on water, clues. Um, heard his teaching. Seen the manner of life of this amazing person. All those were kind of fragments and bits that were in pieces. But now, just at this moment, in the middle of all these places where all these people were being worshipped and all these things were being worshipped, he saw, I know who you are. I know it. I see it. Never, even if these other guys aren't going to see it, I'm going to say it. You are a Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the one that God promised would come. It's you. That's who you are. You're the one we've been praying for, the one we've been waiting for. You're the saviour. That's, that's who you are. Like, ka -ching. Got it. And, you know, Jesus says, Peter, yes, good. And he kind of says, and you didn't even work that out by yourself. My father gave you a clue. My father in heaven helped you to, to cross that line of faith and to be able to, to say those words that change everything. It is actually the, the words that change everything because this to me is one of the most important moments in the whole of history. I think all of heaven was waiting for somebody to, to see it and say it. Nobody had ever done this before. Nobody had ever actually said this about Jesus up until this point of view. All of heaven knew it and they're waiting for one person on earth to be able to voice it and to say it and to see it. That is how important it was and Peter is the first one to say it. And when he said it, it actually brought about a personal change in him and then a cosmic change too, I believe. See, the personal change took place with that revelation of who Jesus really was. First of all, when he saw and when he said, Jesus, you're the son of God. I've got it. I know who you are. When he saw who Jesus' identity was, that also changed Peter's identity. Because Jesus said to him, look at verse 18, and I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When the penny dropped, when Peter discerned and declared out loud who Jesus was, in that moment his own identity was revealed. You will never know who you were made to be. You will never know who you can be until you know who Jesus is. You will never figure out who you are until you know more and more who Jesus is because our identity, our true identity is rooted and locked in him. When you find out who he is, you discover who you are. You discover you're going to live differently. You're a son of God too, the Bible says, because he's the son of God and you get adopted into his family. You have new life because he died and he rose again for you. You are the light of the world. Jesus said it. He said, I'm the light of the world. Now you're going to go and be the light of the world because I'm the light of the world. You are healed because by his stripes he took your sickness. You are seated in heavenly places with him because he went to the right hand of the Father and he wants to take you with him. That's what happens when you pray. When you discover who he really is, you will discover who you really are. That's why when Jesus says to Peter, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He wasn't just restating his name. 
So the Greek word, this is in the amplified version up there, the Greek word used here is petros, which talks about a smaller rock being taken from a bigger rock. It's like a little, you're a chip off the old block. You've heard that kind of phrase? That's what he's saying. I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, a little piece of rock. And on this rock, Petra, a big rock, a huge rock, like the rock of Gibraltar, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it or be strong enough to hold out against it. What's the big rock? It's not Peter. It's Jesus. Jesus is the big rock. He's the big rock. The Apostle Paul called him the rock. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus himself said that he was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He said his words and his teaching are everlasting. They are rock you can build your life on when everything else is shifting sands. Jesus came to little rocky Peter and he says, I'm the big rock. And actually, when the church that I build, this new thing that I create, that the gates of hell will not prevail against. When I make that, it's going to be made of the same stuff as me. It's going to have the same identical DNA. It's going to be composed of the larger rock that I am. So the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. The bigger rock could never be crushed. Neither can the smaller rock. The church that Jesus is building one life at a time is full of ordinary people who have that aha moment and the penny drops and they know who they are because they know who he is. Everything changes in that moment. And the gates of hell will never prevail. What is it in your life right now? Is there some situation? Is there something bigger? Something personal maybe? An area in your life where you feel like the enemy is winning. You feel like the gates look too strong and the chains are are too thick and the the lock is too big over that. The healing isn't coming. The hope hasn't materialised. The situation seems lost. Just picture that as the gates, if you like. Think of that as being the gates. Could be for you, could be for somebody else. Now imagine this in your mind. Just picture it in prayer. Imagine a great big boulder just coming through and smashing through those gates. Because that's the picture that Jesus wants. And that's how you can pray. Come on, what a way to pray. Somebody, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling doom, you're feeling down. That's the gates. That's the assignment against you that wants to keep you locked in hopelessness and in pain and misery and doubt. Boom! In the name of Jesus. Great big rock smashes through those gates. The gates of hell will not prevail in your life. So don't let them. Don't let them. The gates of hell will not prevail in your life. The enemy may try, and he he may try even harder. He will not prevail. We're coming in. We're coming in. Everything changes in you and in your situation when this truth hits you, when you really know who Jesus is and you declare it, when you really know who you are and you you speak it out and you say it because you know it, the enemy cannot prevail against you. The enemy cannot prevail against you. No matter what you're going through, God wants you to become a believer. Are you a believer? Wake up then. Be a believer. Believe it. Act in faith. Speak it out. That's what, he was waiting for Peter to say it, not just know it. I wonder if Peter knew it. Maybe if you asked him the day before, he probably would have known it. I don't know. Oh, I have my suspicions about Jesus. No. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Who's Jesus to you? Is he the Christ? 
Is he the son of the living God? Can he do it then? Or is it still impossible? Why don't you stand up? He's a winner. He's a winner, he's a winner. Jesus is a winner. Not going to finish yet. Believe it or not. I want to read something in a minute. But I just wanted to declare something over you. I want you to declare it, actually. I want you to close your eyes. Maybe there's a situation in which you feel locked in and hemmed in and you've just got those gates that feel closed around you. Some people, I think, are like that tonight. I want you to know there's a big rock that wants to come and smash right through that. And the big rock isn't Peter's faith and all that. It's Jesus. He's the rock. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against him. I want you to just declare and say the truth about who Jesus is over that situation. Over your, your past, if it's holding you back, over your future, if you've got to worry about it, wherever you are right now, just declare it. Why don't you say with me, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why don't you say that? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the declaration. That's what Jesus is going to build victory on. I'll say it again. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The things that he wants to build in your life are going to be built on that. On that declaration, on that faith. It's not faith in you. It's not faith it's going to get better. It's not faith everything's going to be okay in the end. It's, not, it's all about Jesus. It's built on Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith on Jesus. He's the rock. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's true. You are the Christ, Lord. You are the, the Messiah. You were sent from heaven to earth to be the saviour, to be my saviour. There's nothing that's too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible for you. You are a winner. You're victorious in my life. I declare that. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God and you love me and you've saved me and you help me and you heal me Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. And every day this week, just when you wake up, first thing, just say, speak that over your life. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. I'm just going to declare the truth into every situation. I've got the Christ, the son of the living God. He's with me. He's for me. Nothing's going to prevail against me. Amen. Have a stretch. That way, that way, that way. And so, I couldn't leave it there. I was going to leave it there. And then I read this thing, because I was talking about the rock, and there's this thing that I read a few years ago, and when I read it, it just messed me up for the whole of my life. So I couldn't just finish and not read the thing that messed me up for the whole of my life. Is that okay? Yeah. It messed me up in a good way. Don't get worried. Have a seat. It doesn't take long, I hope. It won't take long. Years ago, who's heard of William Booth? Okay, William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, mighty man of God, goes and he's just an ordinary guy who, who basically goes and changes his world in so many ways for the better during the time that he had. But I was reading this thing about how it kind of got started for him and, he, and he, he wrote down about it and he said that he basically had a vision. He said he was in the carriage going somewhere and he's, you know, I don't even know how these things happen but in some way he saw this kind of heavenly vision of what was really going on and so he, he wrote it down. And I just want to read this to you. So snap yourself up. Turn to the person next to you and say, please slap me if I start to fall asleep. Okay, pinch you. Pinch me, yeah? Stand up straight. Take a deep breath. <gasps> Big breath. <gasps> I know it's late. This is good. Okay? Focus. Ready? I had a vision. 
This is a kind of vision. If we get this, it could change everything. I had a vision of a dark and stormy ocean. Over it, the black clouds hung heavily. Every now and then, vivid lightning flashed and loud thunder rolled while the, window, well, while the winds moaned and the, wind, the waves rose and foamed and towered and broke again and again. And in that ocean, I saw myriads of poor human beings plunging and floating, shouting and shrieking, cursing, struggling and drowning. As they cursed and screamed, they rose and shrieked again and then some sank to rise no more. Then I saw out of this dark, angry ocean a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all around the base of this great rock I saw a vast platform. Onto this platform I saw with delight a number of the poor, struggling, drowning wretches climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform were helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach the place of safety. A number of those who'd been rescued were industriously working by ladders and ropes and boats to deliver the poor strugglers out of the sea. Here and there, some actually jumped into the water regardless of the consequences in their passion to rescue the perishing. The occupants of that platform were a mixed company divided into different sets or classes. But then only a very few seemed to make it their business to get people out of the sea. What puzzled me most was that though all of them had been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten about it. Or it seemed at least the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. These people did not even seem to have a care, that is any agonising care, about the poor perishing ones struggling and drowning right there before their very eyes, many of whom were their own husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and even their own children. Now, this astonishing lack of concern could not have been the result of ignorance or lack of knowledge because they lived there right in full sight of it all every day and even talked about it in lectures and sermons. But some of them were absorbed day and night in trading and making business to make gain, in storing up their savings in boxes and safes and the like. Others spent their time amusing themselves with growing flowers on the sides of the rock or painting or playing music or dressing up in different styles and walking around to be admired. Others occupied themselves chiefly in eating and drinking. So many of those on the platform to whom he called, those who confessed to love him so much, who worshipped him or professed to do so, were now taken up by their trades and professions, their money-saving and pleasures, their families and little arguments. They did not listen to the cry that came to them from this wonderful being who himself had gone down into the sea. Or if they heard it, they didn't heed it. They didn't care as the multitude went on right before them, struggling and shrieking and drowning in darkness. And then I saw something that seemed to me even more strange than anything that had gone on before in the vision. I saw that some of these people on the platform whom this wonderful being had called to, wanting them to come and help him in his difficult task of saving these perishing creatures, were always praying and crying out to him to come to them. Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some letters that they had written to them. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock so they would never slip again into the ocean. These people used to meet and get up as high as they could on the rock as they cried out, come to us, come and help us. And all the while, he was down by his spirit among the poor, struggling, drowning creatures in the angry deep with his arms around them trying to drag them out and looking up, oh, so longingly, but all in vain to those on the rock, crying out to them with his voice hoarse from calling, come to me, come to me, come and help me. 
Then I understood it all. It was plain enough. The sea was the ocean of life. The sea of real, actual human existence. The lightning was the gleaming of piercing truth coming from God's throne. The thunder, the distant echoing of the wrath of God. The multitudes of people shrieking, struggling and agonising in the stormy sea were thousands of thousands of poor people. Harlots, drunkards and thieves, liars, blasphemers and ungodly people of every kindred, tongue and nation. Multitudes, rich and poor were there, all so unlike in their outward condition and circumstance, yet all alike in this one thing, all sinners before God, all held by and holding on to some iniquity, all fascinated by some idol or ruled by the found fiend from the pit. All alike in one thing. No, all alike in two things. Not only the same in their wickedness, but unless rescued, the same in their sinking. Down, down, down to the same doom. My friends in Christ, William Booth says, you are rescued from the waters. You were on the rock. He is in the dark sea, calling on you to come to him and help him. Will you go? Do not be deceived by the appearances. Men and things are not what they seem. All who are not on the rock are in the sea. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is through his Spirit in the midst of the dying multitude, struggling to save them. And he's calling on you to jump in. To jump into the sea. To go right away to his side and help him in his holy strife. Will you jump in? Will you go to his feet and place yourself absolutely at his disposal? As when a man on the shore sees another one struggling in the water and takes off his outer garments that would hinder his efforts and leaps to the rescue, so will you who now linger on the bank thinking and singing and praying lay aside your shame, your pride, your cares about other people's opinions, your love of ease and all the selfish loves that have kept you back for so long and rush to the rescue of this multitude of dying men and women. Does the surging sea look dark and dangerous? Unquestionably it is so. There's no doubt that the leap for you, as for everyone who takes it, means difficulty, scorn and suffering. For you, it may mean more than this. It may mean death. He who beckons you from the sea, however, knows what it will mean and knowing he still calls to you. He still bids you to come. You must do it. You can't hold back. You've enjoyed yourself in Christianity long enough. You've had pleasant feelings, pleasant songs, pleasant meetings, pleasant prospects. There's been much human happiness, much clapping of hands, many shouts of praise, very much of heaven on earth. But now then, go to God and tell him you are prepared as much as necessary to turn your back upon it all and that you're willing to spend the rest of your days struggling in the midst of these perishing multitudes, whatever it may cost you. You must do it. With the light breaking now upon your mind and the call now sounding in your ears and the beckoning hands now before your eyes, you have no alternative. Your happiness from now on must consist in sharing their misery, your ease in sharing their pain, your crown in helping them to bear their cross, your heaven in going to the very gates of hell to rescue them. Now, what will you do? It's like I say I read that um, 15 years ago and it was just one of those oh man I wish I'd not read that can't be the same after I've read that uh, you know and there's so many times over the years that I've, I've ended up so these people who are going out and doing it in Fallowfield and handing out a bottle of water and handing out you know it's like why would I do that why would you be there at 12 1 o'clock in the morning 
to these young people. There's two lads came up to me. I just went out for a bit. I was all the hardcore guys were there, but I was there just for a little bit. And these two young lads said, "Oh, why do you, why do you keep coming here? Why are you doing this? I think it's great. I think it's amazing. I'm not a Christian, but why are you doing it?" And I, I couldn't really tell them that's why. But it is, isn't it? And to the extent that we get that, we know Jesus is the rock. We know that he wants to build his church. He knows the gates of hell are not meant to prevail. To the extent that we know Jesus is the son of the living God and there's nobody else who can save and who can rescue and we sign up to follow him fully. And um, yeah, that's it. Should we stand? And uh, I think it's getting a bit late, but we're going to worship. Is that all right? We're just going to maybe do one song because it's getting on a bit time-wise. Um, it's a bit cold okay Lord we thank you thank you Jesus that you stepped down into the waters of this world I just want to thank you that you rescued me I was thrashing around I was, I was going down for the third time I was like just drowning in the mess of my own selfishness and sin and you reached out a hand and you brought me to yourself and you, we sing about you set my foot upon a rock you are the rock but Lord, I just pray, and I want to declare at the start of a new season here in this church that we're not just going to be the church that sits and stands on the rock and sings all about you for ourselves and in some way and just enjoys you and enjoys ourselves with the pleasures of Christianity, Lord. We want to be those who are diving in. You know, if you're going to join Ivy and be part of this, you need to see it's a, it's a diving in movement. It's a, it's a get on a boat, pick up an oar, go out and rescue people kind of a place. That's the only church we're interested in building here. If you want to be a part of that, actually, why don't you stick up a hand and just say, I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. People who are saying, I want to be fully in. I want to be on board with that. I want to be part of that. I'll commit to that. I'll give myself to that. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you as you use that hand and as you reach out into his world with it. God bless that hand. Guide that hand use that hand to bring hope and help and healing to those as you extend that hand out to somebody who's at the moment lost and needs to know Jesus don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to dive in do it fully in the name of Jesus thank you Lord thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org forward slash media